This episode of What's in the Box Office is brought to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And be sure to add our podcast, What's in the Box Office, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. A genie against a beast, a terminator against a shagadelic spy, an astronaut and a cowboy take on a bat, a cat, and a penguin. The king of the jungle faces a man raised in one. Air Force One tries to dodge an asteroid. Aliens race a bus to the finish line. And will it be a Julia Roberts showdown for the division title in two weeks? Or do night and day co-stars Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz have something to say about that? The round of 32 of Multiplex Madness Forever concludes. Plus, we reveal our worst films of the year on this, the 147th episode of What's in the Box Office. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What's in the Box Office. I'm your host, Brian. I'm your host, Noah, and I think this might be the first instance where we've kind of already seen a shagadelic super spy take on a Terminator. If you'll recall, Austin Powers uh, defeating the Fembots. Sure. Do you think that would have worked against Robert Patrick's T-1000? The Fembots? No, if Austin Powers had started throwing oh, no. his, his mojo in the direction, no, you think no. he would have gotten like a, a liquid metal sword? We can get into it, but I'm not sure why it, it, it worked against the Fembots, is they don't have sexual feelings and they don't, they're robots. They're not. Because he's just, but they're also Fems and he's just that sexy. Yeah, but they don't, they don't, you know, see humans as sexual. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. So, no, I don't think Robert Patrick would be. I think if he came up against Schwarzenegger, sure. Schwarzenegger feels things. You know, he cared about that kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. He has the capacity to feel. And so he'd feel very horny. Here we go. Multiplex later learns. <laughs> Good. Sorry, I was just going to say, later we learn he has the capacity to love. Yep. Muslim Madness Forever, the round of 32, part two. We finish the round of 32. We will solidify our sweet 16 candles. Um, here we go. The the Lawrence of Arabia conference. I still have the Godfather conference listed for some reason, even though the divisions are correct. The Hayao Miyazaki division, Tony Scott division, Nor Efron division, Justin Lin division. We're going through them. We're picking winners. We're determining basically who will face off to take those division titles in two weeks. Here we go. The family films, the Hayao Miyazaki division. The one seed, The Lion King, will take on the four seed, Tarzan. And the two seed, Aladdin, will take on the three seed, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, three just pillars of Disney animation here. Uh, and then Tarzan, which has a much stronger reputation among people our age than I could have ever imagined. Yeah, this is a uh, this is good. This is the start of what I think is just going to be a bunch of very uh, very interesting matchups this round. I had no idea the kind of reputation the Tarzan had. Uh, now, saying like amongst amongst our peers. Yes, it, uh, Ariel commented on one of the photos on Facebook. The go Tarzan or something. Subba's rooting for Tarzan. Ahmad likes Tarzan. Ahmad just rewatched Tarzan. He likes it. I mean, I really was like, wow, everyone really likes Tarzan still. Okay. That is uh, that is surprising to me as well. 
I know. Tarzan's fine. All right. <laughs> okay. It's fine. What do you want? I want you to be honest. It's not just fine. It is. It is arguably very good. Okay. Tar- Tarzan, You're relative to these other three movies, is fine. Oh, is that what you meant when you said it's fine? Was that the context yeah, you were supposed yeah, to take? Yeah, I, I, in the yeah, context keeping. Okay. Yeah. I see. Uh, the Lion King. Here we go. Lion King against Tarzan. Lion King was released June fifteenth, nineteen ninety four. Opening weekend, forty one million dollar expansion because all those early Disney animated movies opened in like two theaters and then went wide. A final gross of three hundred twelve million. Tarzan was released five years and a day to the date of the Lion King, June sixteenth, nineteen ninety nine. Opening weekend. $34 million, final gross of 171 domestic. So we have five categories. Uh, the first uh, movie to win three of them moves on. Um, the categories are, we just have a basic math one, which is bigger profit relative to budget, quality of the movie, the harder road to success. Ow, I burned my finger on my tea. That is, um, that is not the categories. No. But if uh, hard, it was, you would take that point. Harder Road to Success, the two legacy categories, which means the legacy of the movie itself, is it still revered today? Is it looked upon as influential? Is it still ongoing, the franchise? And then the legacy of the participants, the actors, the creators, the directors. Uh, is this a big point in their filmography? Did it launch them? So on and so forth. So the bigger profit relative to budget. The Lion King costs $45 million and grows $858 million worldwide. That's a profit of one thousand nine hundred and eight percent. Tarzan costs one hundred and thirty million. It grossed four hundred forty-eight worldwide. That's profit of three forty-four point one goes to the Lion King. That uh, I know it came a few years later, but looking at the budgets of Lion King and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast, that Tarzan budget is really big. Well, it was mostly computer animated. It was a mixture of computer and hand drawn. First Disney movie to do that, and yeah, the. Um, as they became more profitable, the uh, studios started to spend, uh, feel they could pay their fucking animators to make them. Uh, quality of movie. I rewatched Tarzan. Holds up surprisingly well. I thought it was very effective. Uh, and I'm not the biggest fan of The Lion King relative to, see now, this uh, this I will specify, relative to everyone else because everyone fucking loves it. Um, sure. But I'm still giving this point to The Lion King. All right. That was, uh, yeah. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was worried there for a second because worried's the wrong word. You can vote how you please, but thank uh, you. It it seemed like you were going to go Tarzan there. Uh, I also vote The Lion King. It is uh, my favorite Disney movie, and I love it quite a bit. I did not mean to disparage Tarzan. Uh, it's just not, you know, not my favorite. Lion King is. Um, all right. Harder road to success. So it's a question of, you know, there's two ways to look at this, whether we look at the Lion King, which would be coming off of the Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin two years earlier, or Tarzan, which came after all of those movies, including the Lion King. However, you know, at that point, animation may become oversaturated. The idea of an event film. Obviously, Lion King is the peak. No other Disney movie came anywhere near that gross uh, post-Lion King. So at that point, is it just, you know, is it harder to make, you know, basically every other, you know, Hunchback, Mulan, Hercules, um, Pocahontas, those all made about 140 as the peak and then 120 about that maybe a hundred i don't know um 
But Tarzan making 170, going back up toward the heights of like Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast, right? Uh, was that harder to do coming off of, you know, one animated movie a year where it was still relatively new when The Lion King came out and there was a lot of buzz behind just Disney being back? Or do we take uh, or do we give the point to uh, The Lion King in the sense that it just it made so much, you know, it made 100 million more than Aladdin. So that was a harder hill to climb as far as right. taking the crown of highest grossing animated film and running with it. So I guess, uh, yeah. Here's my question to you. If we reshuffled the Lion King and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. in really any order, but let's say, you know, Lion King comes first and Beauty and the Beast comes in 94 instead. Do you think we'd be looking at a $300 million gross for Beauty and the Beast? Do you think they'd just kind of flip numbers? No, no I don't think no. so. I, I think, okay. oh, yeah, probably. I, I do think there's something to be said about the the kind of pinnacle, the culmination of this comeback and this wild uh, critical acclaim and, and just the, you know, the things at Disneyland. I mean, I've you know, you take into account the fact that The Lion King came last. Yes, it's true that it just had, like, all these movies preceding it, but it also... You know, the VHS market was booming. Uh, you have four years, you know, well, Mermaid was 89, I think. I don't know the exact day or year. But uh, you had at least five years of just pure, like, those popular characters walking around the amusement parks, toys being sold, uh, you know, showing on the wonderful world of Disney, the home video shit, the birthday parties and stuff, and this kind of huge resurgence of the Disney brand um, I think that uh, I, th- I think that yeah, Beauty and the Beast. Especially if, if we're keeping the critical acclaim, and Beauty and the Beast becomes the first uh, animated Best Picture nominee in '94, then yeah, I, I, th- I think we're probably getting close to 300. All right, I that's kind there's, of there's something to be said that The Lion King is quote unquote a boys movie. You know, we're talking about the early '90s where that line was very drawn for us. Right? Sure. Um, so there is some quote where the sense that like, uh, you know, everyone would want to see the Lion King, but maybe boys don't want to see beauty and the beast, you know? Right. It's about beauty. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's kind of the way I lean as well, which is what's making me want to think Tarzan here. I think just the lead, you know, as you were saying, the lead in that Lion King had. Yeah. And just coming at the absolute pinnacle of the, uh, the Disney's 90 thing disney 90s thing uh is it's got to be one of the easier roads to success and it did have a huge amount of it but i think you're probably right that give or take you know 20 30 million dollars like whichever of these movies came out june 94 was gonna hit really big so my vote is tarzan i also think the tarzan was just like a surprise like 170 i i don't know but i feel like based on all the other movies preceding it hercules mulan the year before making 120 that this making an extra 50 was big because you know at this point we had toy story we had a bug's life we had ants we had uh the Prince of Egypt, that which didn't make a huge splash at the box office, but the idea that computer animation was becoming more and more prevalent, you know, Toy Story 2 was going to be released three months, five months after Tarzan. Um, 
that it would just it being one last. I mean, Lilo and Stitch also, but Lilo and Stitch made one forty. But this really being like one last lightning strike for them for this traditional animation style. So I I will also go with Tarzan. Uh, where does that leave us? So Lion King is up two one so far. Okay, The Lion King was the number two film in 1994. It became the biggest animated film in history. You'll hear that a lot in the next few minutes. 88 on Metacritic, four Oscar nominations, two Academy Awards. Tarzan has a 79 on Metacritic and one Academy Award. Legacy of the movie is definitely The Lion King. Yes, and I it, agree. And it moves on. And the legacy of the participants, you know, Elton John, maybe. Uh, Nathan Lane, certainly. But I think the Phil Collins aspect is probably huge for Tarzan. Yeah, I think uh, if we're if we were talking about that, the how how big a part of Phil Collins' career is Tarzan is uh, yeah is certainly a big point in his favor. But the Lion King does move on a one seed, continuing their streak of advancing. Lion King Indeed. is uh, going to the Sweet Sixteen. All right, let's see what will face it for the Hayao Miyazaki division title, the two-seed Aladdin or the three-seed Beating the Beast. Aladdin was released November 13th, 1992, opening weekend, 19 million expansion, uh, final gross 217 domestic. Beating the Beast was released November 15th, 1991, opening weekend, $12 million expansion, final gross 146. So Aladdin cost $28 million to make it, gross 504, that's a profit of 1800. Beauty and the Beast cost $25 million to make. It made $248 uh, worldwide. That's a profit of $9.95. Aladdin takes game one. The, uh, the success of Aladdin relative to Beauty and the Beast is very surprising to me. Yeah. Especially with Beauty and the Beast's whole best picture thing. Like, Well, I think that that, that, that just helped Aladdin a lot. That, uh, yeah, that's probably true. Quality of the film. Did you rewatch either of these? I no, I've uh, I've seen them both uh, recently enough, and I'm just I'm familiar with them. These two movies for me are just kind of in a they're in like a tier of their own. That's top tier '90s Disney movies that are not The Lion King. Uh-huh. Uh, and like as far as far as quality goes, I think they're like they're basically neck and neck. So here I will go with the movie that I uh, watched more and enjoyed more uh, as a child, and that is Aladdin. Wow, uh, I'm surprised to hear that. I'm also going with Aladdin. It's my favorite of these Disney flicks. So it gets to the point. Although I do, I said this a few weeks ago. I do think that put up against uh, all the other ones, I think Beauty and the Beast might have the best catalog of songs. I, yeah, I think that's... I think uh, Belle, Gaston, Be, Be Our Guest, Beauty and the Beast. You know, I mean, there's... I, I think that going up against The Lion King, A Little Mermaid, and Aladdin, it, it could send... It, it could uh, take uh, just the strongest catalog, so... And it's great, but yeah, it, my, my heart's with Aladdin. Harder Road to Success. So, um, you know, the uh, they came out a year apart. Beauty and the Beast was coming out. I'm going to find out how much The Little Mermaid made. But uh, Beauty and the Beast was coming off of the big uh, Katzenberg-helped Disney resurgence, um, put them back on the map and uh, and all that. And then Aladdin is coming off of Beauty and the Beast's wild cr- – I mean, The Little Mermaid was hugely critically acclaimed, but that crit- – well, Little Mermaid made less than I thought – that critical success – uh, Beauty and the Beast, the Oscar nomination, all that kind of stuff, and then uh, just took it to new heights. So 
Uh, the Little Mermaid, shockingly, I don't know why. I guess I've never, ever looked at the Little Mermaid's box office numbers. But in 1989, which is when it came out, it made $84 million domestically, um, which is just cr- like even now, the, even now with, the, with its 97 re release, 2017 re release, mainly the 97, it's still $111 million. Uh, I, if you had asked me, I would have pegged it at the same, basically, as Beauty and the Beast. Um, so Beauty and the Beast, you know, making $30 million, not 30 but more than that, or Aladdin just shooting up even higher. Then Beauty and the Beast, what do you think here? I think that this is, uh, this to me is very similar to the discussions we had uh, during Multiplex Madness 2000 about the Pixar films. You're... Uh, you're Finding Nemo, Your Incredibles, Your uh, Monsters Inc., uh, and really for me, it's at at this point in time, whichever one is earlier was harder. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, despite not making as much as Aladdin, did not have the lead in of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's going to break my heart, but I, I do incline to agree here, so I would also give it to Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, so it's two one. Legacy of the movie itself, Aladdin was the number one film in 1992, number one animated film of all time, 86 on Metacritic, five Oscar nominations, two Oscars. Beauty and the Beast became the number one animated film of all time as well, 95 on Metacritic, six Oscars, two, sorry, six Oscar nominations, two Academy Awards, including that all-important Best Picture nom. Um... I feel like it's Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I think uh, especially you know, when you take I, into account the remake. Yeah, I was I was just gonna go there. I just briefly looked up. Uh, yeah, the remake of Beauty and the Beast made over five hundred million dollars, and the remake of Aladdin, even though Aladdin's more, the more likely to get a sequel, goes more action oriented, I guess. But uh, Aladdin made three over three. Um, so I think yeah. that that could, that takes into account the legacy of the film. Yeah. Plus, uh, you know, just what what you were talking about. I think this is a uh, a big point of uh, in favor of the songs. You were mentioning the catalog of uh, catalog yeah. of songs coming out of Beauty and Truly. the Beast, uh, and just the the legacy of the first animated movie nominated for Best Picture. And I think this. Uh, yeah. I think this was the Beauty and the Beast. The only one when it was just five regular movies. I agree. I'm voting Beauty and the Beast here as well. Um, the last one to be only five regular movies. Yeah. After, after this year, they're going back to ten. So, Legacy of the Participants. You know, I don't think Beauty and the Beast has anyone. You know, it's got uh, the Jerry Orbach, Angela Lansbury. Uh, the songs Aladdin has Robin Williams as the genie. That's true. That is, uh, which I think is going to be real hard for Beauty and the Beast to top for the legacy of the people. Involved. I was, uh, I somehow that had slipped my mind completely, and I was oh. going to say like, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, I feel I feel like the Angela Lansbury point sure. is really worth considering here, but. No, I think you're right. I don't think uh, I don't think Beauty and the Beast is as important to anyone's career as Aladdin is to uh, Robin Williams and frankly Gilbert Gottfried's, but 
I'll, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll keep that as just a little point. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Why don't you save that for the next round? Yeah. Throw that into the mix. We'll consider that when Aladdin faces the Lion King. Aladdin does move on. Aladdin here. Noah's favorite animated Disney film and my favorite animated Disney film. Head to head. <laughs> One of us will be sorely disappointed. You thought. You know, the last episode was long. I, this is this you know, this argument alone is going to take us at least three hours. Yeah, we're just, um, we're, just we're never going to get past like, but but what if what if you consider the impact? We're really going to go down all. I'm going to be looking like, well, hold on, because the lead animator, okay, didn't make anything else of note. So to him, it's huge. Yeah. The one seed Lion King will take on the two seed Aladdin. Uh, which I think makes sense. Um, I agree. To, uh, to, to, to win the uh, Hayao Miyazaki division in two weeks, they both advance. All right, the Tony Scott division, the action films. Uh, our contenders are the one-seed Independence Day against the four-seed Speed and the two-seed Armageddon against the three-seed Air Force One. Independence Day was released July 2nd, not Independence Day, 1996. Opening weekend, five, uh, sorry, $50 million over that Friday to Sunday, but it opened on a Tuesday, so it made 96 over its first six days, Tuesday to Sunday. Final gross, 306 domestic. Speed was released June 10th, 1994. Opening weekend, $14 million. Final gross, $121 million. Okay, this is going to be weird. Uh, Independence Day cost $75 million to make. It grossed uh, 817 worldwide. That's a profit of 1,090. Speed had a budget of 30 million dollars. It grossed 350. That's a profit of how much, Noah? Uh, 1,168 percent. It's a mere 78 percent or 78. Yeah, percent. Yeah. Uh, Deficit, but uh, speed takes game one. Quality of movie. Uh, well, I, you know my answer, Noah. So I guess we'll go straight to yours. Um, yeah, I, but I feel like I know what it's going to be. If I can, uh, if I can presume for a moment, my vote here is also for speed. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Oh I, no, I, I didn't mean mine when I said it is. I didn't mean that's right. Mine is. I meant it, that's correct. Yours is also for speed because if okay. you had picked Independence Day, we'd have a lot to discuss. Sure. Uh, you can like Independence Day all you want, but come on. Yeah, I uh, I do. I, I will continue to think that Independence Day sure. is great. And Why just a, 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 an all-time, like, just like 90s action movie. It mm-hmm. is a kind of a pillar of the genre for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, we rewatched Speed uh, this past summer. Something like that. Uh, I don't know. And it's just incredible. It could It could not hold up better. Yeah. Even even in the last like 20 minutes that don't need to happen, once the bus thing wraps up and there's right. still movie, which is just classic mistake. Uh doesn't matter. Doesn't it's, matter. Uh, it's really great. Uh and just 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 surprisingly like not not just good and appreciable but like yeah. legitimately thrilling throughout. Harder road to success. I might give this to Speed, and I'll t- I understand Independence Day has the big three hundred six glaring at you, but yeah, Independence sure. Day was marketed as the biggest movie on the planet, right? Goldblum hot off, uh, well, a year before Lost World, but hot off Jurassic Park, um, and 
it was just built for that, right? And it did exceed expectations. It did hold on. But Speed was a movie about a bus that couldn't slow down. <laughs> Directed by a first-time director, starring uh, the guy from uh, Point Break, who wasn't Patrick Swayze, Bill from Bill and Ted, or was he Ted? I think he's Ted. He is Ted. Ted yes. from Bill. I've watched all those movies recently, but yeah, he's I, I, I always also used to think that he was Bill. Well, that's because he's Keanu Reeves. Bill comes and, first. And it's no, no offense to Alex Winter, but we all just know Keanu Reeves. Yeah, but, it should um, be Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, not Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. Come on. But, um, you know, Sandra Bullock, who I don't, you know, was in like Demolition Man. It's, it, this was her first launching point. She had been yeah. in some movies before this, but like, uh, while you were sleeping was after this hope floats was after this this was you know launch point and I, I think that like speed making 120 like an action mo- a good action movie making 121 is very doable in the 90s but i think this action movie with this plot this cast and this filmmaker i feel like that's very hard to 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 just stand out in, uh, I- in a theatrical environment i think i agree i think i'm voting speed here as well uh which means we won't have to get to uh, ultimately the final category and hem and haw whether or not speed is the speed is more That'd important to Keanu Reeves and real tough. Bullock than uh, than Independence Day is to Will Smith here's, basically here's... and Judd Hirsch <laughs> had a whole podcast we had a whole podcast about Will Smith uh, with uh, our good friend and fellow podcaster motto it's of uh, thinking outside the boombox but. Call getting really with it. You can find all the episodes wherever they are. I don't know, but um, I I remember reporting. I will here's a, here's oh, my microphone. I remember reporting, <laughs> reporting. I remember telling you guys that uh, Will Smith had been cast in Men in Black before Independence Day had come out. So Breaking I, news. So I so I would argue if we were going that route that it's not as important as you would think because. I think Men in Black is his true coming out party because he was like the star. You know, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is in it, but he was the star of this. Bill sure. Bill Pullman has the big speech. Uh, Goldblum's in the whole movie. He's the star of the movie. He's in all of it. Um, yeah. And uh, and the fact that like Independence Day didn't lead to Men in Black, I think, is a big uh, thing there. But no, we don't have to discuss it because Speed overcomes a one. A one seed goes down. Yeah. Been swept. Once he'd have swept, you could just picture it. It's uh, it's Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock smoking cigars, walking in the desert, and high fiving each other because they just took down Independence Day with a sweep. Yeah. The little bus that could truly uh, speed moves on. Let's see what it's going to face. The two seat Armageddon or the three seat Air Force One. Armageddon was released July first, nineteen ninety eight. Opening weekend, thirty six million dollars, fifty four for its five day. So it opened on a Wednesday. Final gross. 201 domestic air force one was released was released july 25th 1997 opening weekend 37 million dollars final gross 173 domestic armageddon costs 140 million to make it grossed 553 worldwide that's profit of 395 you think well there's no chance there's no chance it loses air force one made eight 85 it costs 85 million dollars and it made 315 worldwide that's a profit of 370 garmageddon takes game one 
I put all these charts together, and sometimes I look at them, and sometimes I don't. I didn't look at that till just now. That's wild. This is a real uh, whoever wins, we lose situation. Um, quality of movie. Air Force One is great. It's it's a ton of fun. It goes on for about 15, 20 minutes too long, but uh, it's a, just a solidly crafted uh, little action movie. Armageddon is a mess of a masterpiece. Uh, just a colossal, you know, Jackson Pollock of a movie. And so I give, I give the chaotic, uh, uh, point to Armageddon here. I, I think the way you described them both, uh, give, give or take the word masterpiece here or there. I said, but, chaotic. Uh, I said in, in the essence of chaos, it is a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah, and you'll, you'll, you'll call it a mess of a masterpiece. So it's definitely I, I a think, tempered I think masterpiece. That, I think that might be what I mean. Yeah, it's a, as uh, far as movie messes go, it's a masterpiece. Sure. Uh, anyway, I think that's a, a a pretty accurate description of both things. Yeah, uh, I Thank do you. think that Air Force One uh, succumbs a little more to the uh, the problem I was just talking about with speed. They've conquered the terrorists. They've yeah. retaken Air Force One. By the, the way, movie's over. And then, or, and yeah, and then, oh, what about the mole? Like, no, no. And then, like, yeah, they have yeah. to bungee across a plane. By the way, the shot of the bad guy at the end. Do you know what I'm talking about? His very last shot in the in the parachute. Yes, I don't want to spoil yeah. it because I know that someone yeah, listening yeah, yeah, has yeah, it. I, but he's like this. Yeah, I know what you mean. And he's just floating in the parish is the silliest last shot of a villain in maybe any movie. He's just literally just (laughs) flying across very peacefully and quietly flying through the sky. Anyway, um, Uh, and then, yeah, there's another whole action set piece that's ridiculous. Yeah, Yeah. that may be. uh, However, despite your descriptions being uh, pretty accurate, in my opinion, as well, I would rather watch a a really solid, uh, well-put-together action movie than a uh, chaotic mess masterpiece or not my vote is air force that is absolutely i'll accept it because i have to but it is unacceptable um you know about 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 five minutes ago i uh made point to uh, to say how you could vote whatever you want and i think i think you sarcastically thanked me as if to say of course i can yeah and uh, that's why i just said i accept your vote all right it's done i get it you can vote how you want but it's not correct no it's fine it's just crazy um all right but uh harder road to success uh yeah i'm going with armageddon i think i think the deep impact factor Helps it over just the uh, the Harrison Ford big action movie factor. Yeah, I think uh, I think Harrison Ford is a a big point uh, against Air Force One in terms of difficulty of succeeding here. Yeah, I, th- I think it's sort of higher than most of his movies in that era, but it's it made about sure. the same as The Fugitive. I think The Fugitive made maybe about one eighty. Um, so it made a little less than maybe the fugitive, but uh, yeah, I feel like the Armageddon just coming right after the other one is just tough. It, yeah, it's also just a a very a very simple and straightforward action movie premise. The the literal poster, I said this last week. Yeah, yeah. That Harrison Ford is the president. They knew exactly what they wanted. That their hook was. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, 
so yeah, I don't I don't really see a world in which Air Force One does not succeed. Maybe 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 in another world it only makes like a hundred and thirty million dollars, right. or or if it's like shitty, like arguably garbage. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think there's plenty of reasons that Armageddon could have uh, because it was failed. garbage. It was panned. I mean, yeah, it was it was panned. A movie like it had just come out. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, then, uh, uh, yes, I I vote Armageddon there as well. What uh, What are the tallies here then? So now you've got Armageddon advancing three yeah. zero. Uh, I've got Armageddon winning two one. So okay. it's not quite in the books yet okay so legacy of the movie itself armageddon ha- was the number two film in 1998 42 on metacritic four oscar nominations also a criterion uh, collection choice uh, and it, they, they have the actual medium as like you know they they have like a thousand like four thousand movies but only a handful of them are physical discs this is air force yeah. one yeah. uh 61 on metacritic two oscar nominations so what do you think about this i i think this is unquestionably armageddon uh, if for um, no other reason then yeah it's part of the criterion collection for god's sake yeah also uh, yeah. you know the song the uh yeah just that in the song i guess yeah i do want to uh Without getting into the personnel because that's where it really is, is going to shine but yeah i do want to shout out and i don't i don't think just quoting the line is too much of a spoiler but uh get off my plane that's yeah that's so, not a spoiler that's, that's what a, that's the objective that's a just just an all time line. It's really great, uh, and his points you, in Air Force One's favor. But can, like Armageddon endures. Can you try to do Ford doing it? Get off my plane! No, I can't. I'm sorry. I I, I just did Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. Get off my plane! Yeah, that's Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. I don't know. Yeah, I would, get I would, over I would, here. I wouldn't know what he sounds like, but sure. He goes um, get over here, and then he shoots like a spike. You'll you'll learn soon. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna learn. I'm, oh, I can't wait to learn what that uh, <laughs> all about Scorpion and Sub Zero, and maybe though they'll probably save him for the sequel, Reptile. Uh, Armageddon advances. Yes, it does. It goes up against the four seed Speed. So it's the first time that we have the flip here, where the, now the two seed will face the you know. Um, for the Tony Scott division title in two weeks. Very exciting. All right. The Nora Ephron division. We're lightening things up with some uh, romance here. The one seed pretty woman takes on the four seed Jerry Maguire and two seed. My best friend's wedding takes on the three seed. There's something about Mary. Did you enjoy my night and day reference in the intro? I, yeah, I, I should off. Oh, oh, what'd you say? I said, I'm sorry to say I missed it. I was too, I was too busy thinking about Austin Powers uh, flirting Robert Patrick to death. I said, "Will it be Julie Roberts against Julie Roberts for the division title, or will Night and Day co-stars Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz have something to say about it?" Oh damn! Oh wow! Yeah, and I realized now, <laughs> just sitting here, that they were also in Vanilla Sky together. <laughs> so I could have also said that. What a what a classic pairing. <laughs> that I'm... Night and Day is fairly decent and one of our favorite trailer moments. Sure, he's got a good line. It's a great line. It is a great line, and he says it in like the perfect Tom Cruise way. Yeah. All right. Um, here we go. Pretty Woman was released in March twenty third, nineteen ninety. Opening weekend eleven million dollars. Final gross one hundred and seventy eight. Jerry Maguire 
was released December 13th, 1996, opening weekend $17 million, final gross $154. Pretty Woman cost $14 million to make. It grossed $463. That's profit of $3,309. Jerry Maguire cost $50 million to make. It grossed $273 worldwide. That's a profit of 547%. Game one goes to Pretty Woman. Handily, too. Yeah. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of movies left that could, that, that might be pretty woman yeah. and profit relative to budget quality of movie. Um, did you rewatch Jerry Maguire? Or are you not going to do that for this round? I uh, no, I didn't need to for this round. Uh, Jerry Maguire is good. Not my favorite, but mm. it is good. Uh, pretty woman is not good. Yeah. So I uh, very much love Jerry Maguire and pretty woman. It does not hold up at all for, it, yeah. for, for people who especially hadn't seen it before. Like, I mean, like I have, but who, who just didn't grow up in the fervor of Pretty Woman? It's really, right. It's like not, me. Yeah, it's not good. All right. Harder Road to Success. Well, Pretty Woman. Thousand yes. Percent. You have <laughs> Tom, shut. Tom, Tom Cruise in peak 90s mode against uh, Greg Kinnear, whose career was kind of dipping, and Julia Roberts, who had been in like two things. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was actually Richard Gere, I think. What did I say? Greg Kinnear? Yes. Mm. But- there's an idea. No, thank you. No, no, no I'm not a Greg Kinnear fan. I feel like we must have talked about this before. Yeah, probably. But like, Pretty Woman's already bad. So, like, what's the worst that could happen? If they just remade it with Greg Kinnear, yeah, or sure today, okay. sure. What? No, I'm thinking, what if it had been Jason Kinnear? Alexander reprises his role? <laughs> yeah, great. Jason Everyone reprises their role. <laughs> so then, to what, a shot he, for shot he's remake, a new, so he's a new character, Greg Kinnear. No, I, I think I think I think what we do is a shot-for-shot shot remake featuring everybody except Richard Gere, and he will be played by Greg Kinnear. And like you know what, Noah, we gotta flip it. We Christmas gotta Christmas twenty twenty-two. We gotta add something new, right? We gotta flip it. So Greg Kinnear is the prostitute, and Julie Roberts is the rich, rich guy. Fine. Yeah, there we go. We figured it out. Um, but all of their lines are the same. What are we doing here? Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> legacy of the movie itself. Yes. Uh, pretty woman. <laughs> See, I feel like Jerry Maguire has a case. You know what? It might be Jerry Maguire. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I, th- I think, I think Jerry Maguire, uh, just has quite, quite a reputation. It has a lot of, uh, it has a lot of like big lines that have endured. That is true. You know, the only one I was thinking of is show me the money. And I was like, yeah, but she's got her lines and pretty woman. But then I realized it has the other two as well. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't think this, I don't think this is the case where like, you know, pretty woman is a definitive rom-com of the nineties. Whereas Jerry Maguire is just like some movie. Right. Like, I think, I think Jerry Maguire is kind of a, is a definitive movie of the nineties in its own right. Uh, and you know, I don't, I'm not going to, not, not going to get too much into the people involved because that's its own category. Mm. Uh, and I just really, I just have to, I have to balance this in my mind against how much like I'd rather Jerry Maguire won. Yeah, me too. But I don't think it wins the next legacy. <laughs> Maybe not. Who, 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 I mean, I it, like, e- e- even if we factor in, Cuba Gooding Jr., which not great anymore, and Renee Zellweger. 
we have Julie Roberts over here. I mean, it's her. It's... Yeah. And yeah, I get Gary Marshall too. I guess. I guess you're right, though. Cameron Crowe. But I feel like can't... name another Gary Marshall movie. Me? Yeah. I I know there are many. <laughs> He's a great name. Now name another can. Now name, succeeded. Name, now name the Cameron Crowe movies you can think of. Uh, all right. Uh, do we have time? I guess this podcast always runs long. <laughs> he doesn't make that many movies. No, I know. I know. Uh, but I can name Almost Famous. Yeah. Vanilla Sky you brought up before. Aloha. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one with Reese Witherspoon. The one Didn't they do one with Reese Witherspoon? I'll look it up. I don't think so. No, 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 no. I'm thinking of Elizabeth Town, which does not have Reese Witherspoon. Kirsten Dunst. Yes. Yeah. Among others. Say anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also think Pretty Woman's huge for Greg for. Oh my God, for Richard. <laughs> D- <laughs> but wouldn't it, it have is, been? Huge it is big for, for Greg. Kinnear. Greg Kinnear loves Pretty. It is big for him, but personally, not professionally. Uh, right. But for yeah, Richard I, Gere, it is big, yeah. I th- I, th- I think you're right. I don't really know by what margin, but I think we're agreed that Pretty Woman advances. Pretty Woman's going to advance. It's disappointing, but I think it's going. I I think it's going to be hard to beat out of this division. But uh, perhaps the one seed moves on. Let's see what. Let's see if it's Julie Roberts or her my best friend's wedding co-star Cameron Diaz. <laughs> Cameron Diaz is making it regardless. As well, she should. Well, let's see if it's her starring vehicle or her supporting turn. My best friend's wedding against the the two seed against the three seed. There's something about Mary. My best friend's wedding was released June 20th, 1997. Opening weekend, $21 million. Final gross, 127 domestically. There's something about Mary was released July 15th, 1998. Opening weekend, 13 million. It opened on a Wednesday, so 18 for a five day. Final gross, 176. My best friend's wedding. Cost $38 million. It grossed $299 worldwide. That's profit of $787. And there's something about Mary. Had a budget of $23. It grossed $370. That's a profit of $1,608. Game one goes to there's something about Mary. It's a big win. It's a huge win. Uh, quality of movie. Noah, you recently saw both of these for the first time. What are you picking? Uh, I'm picking my best friend's wedding here. Me too. Uh, I think... Uh, you know, I made I made this point last time we talked about there's something about Mary. Surprisingly good, considering, yeah. especially for me. I uh, didn't think I'd like it at all. It holds up pretty well, but uh, my best friend's wedding is uh, just better. I, yeah. I like it more. It's got it's got just like peak Julia Roberts stuff going on. Just great, great like rom com sensibilities. It works very well. Yeah, harder road to success. So my best friend's wedding was Julia Roberts come back to the romantic comedy genre. She had done a bunch of other movies, some action films where she was always the second lead with like Denzel or Mel Gibson. And, uh, and then she's, uh, she's in period films, um, chasing more serious stuff. And so here she is, she's back in the, the romantic comedy. So is it the return after like a few years of not really being a huge box office star anymore, or just her star kind of dwindling 
or is it the um, the Fairley Brothers big movie with a very red hot Cameron Diaz, who's not a this is known name, but you know, Best Friends Wedding came out a year before. Uh, Fairley Brothers had Dumb and Dumber. Kingpin didn't really make money, but um, but they were still a, a fair name. So is it that just over exceeding, or is it Julie Roberts coming back and proving that she can still do it? I, my money might go to there's something about Mary here. Just I think they I, made so much more. I think I agree. I think the basically fifty million dollars difference is uh, is notable in this case, and you know. Come come back or not, it's not like she'd been away for fifteen years. You you um, can make Jerry Maguire for the um, the difference between the grosses and my best friend's wedding and there's something about Mary. That is that is a very interesting way to put it. <laughs> you can make everything that you see in Jerry Maguire costs the difference between those two grosses. So when you think about it, it's not so much a difference of fifty million dollars, but a difference of two hundred and seventy three million dollars. Yes. In a way. It, in, in a, a sense, in a way, in one way, maybe, maybe not the way. But uh, yeah, I think. What are you going with? I here? think. I think. I think my votes. There's something about Mary. All right, uh, Legacy of the movie itself. Best Friends Wedding has 50 on Metacritic, one Oscar nomination for score. There's something about Mary was the number three film in '98, 69 on Metacritic. So, Legacy of the movie itself. I mean, I feel like Best Friends Wedding is talked about more. Um, as far as these two movies go, but I, I, don't know. I think that's right. I think there's something about Mary has a very, very distinct, like nineties comedy sensibility to it. It's, you know, even having never seen it, it was just kind of like a, a pillar of the genre in my mind prior to this. It's got a, you know, it's got the image of Cameron Diaz with the hair. Yeah. Which is uh, an absolutely iconic comedy shit. Mm-hmm. I, Still holds up, too. You've seen that image a thousand times, and when they do reveal her hair, it is, it's still funny. There's something about... It works. There's something about... Um, there, I, where, yeah. I was going to say, whereas my best friend's wedding, I agree, probably is like transcended the 90s a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I think also is just a a shining uh, a shining romantic comedy of the decade in its own right. I I, I do want before you cast your vote, it seems like you're yeah. about to do. I do want to mention the uh, the R rated gross out factor of something about Mary, which you know a year after this we get American Pie. Okay, so you, you, do kinda, you think there's something about Mary like? I could think, have led to led to that. There's something about Mary gave us the hangover. I, yeah, I think in an indirect line. I think that the bodily fluid, you know, R-rated comedy thing um, became popularized again. I don't know if it was ever, but again, certainly with this movie. Okay. And I think that you could see that ripple over into the next decade. Um, I think American Pie, you know, kind of sealed it. But uh, I don't know in what stage of development Pi was in because it came out about a year after, like literally about a year. American Pie came out in July of '99, so I don't know what stage of. De- Obviously, the script had most likely been written, but would it was it already greenlit? 
or after this was Universal like, okay, well, people like uh, shocking things in their movies. So sure, sure. do the, the beer gag. We'll sign off on it. You know how how important, if at all, do you think it is that my best friend's wedding's legacy is more firmly rooted in the genre we're talking about that the Nora Ephron champion. Well, that's, that that's a good point. And uh, just to give it some more legs, let's give it to that. That's fine with me. All right. Cause I, I think, I think that I do, I do think that's important that like, that, something that is Mary important. Does, does yeah. qualify as a romantic comedy. We determined it meets the criteria. It's very, sure it it's, when you, and when you watch it, it's very, that's all about falling in love and shit. I mean, yeah. yeah. And it has, it has, you know, they get, they get together at the end. It, it is one. Yeah. But it's just, it's not really, it's not really thought of in that same way. No, it is. It is. It does have the legacy of like a raunchy gross out comedy. Right. So then what's our score? Noah? it's two to two. Okay. Who, uh, yeah. So legacy of the person is there something about Mary? Because we've talked about this before. It's it's huge on Cameron Diaz's filmography. Huge. It was her starring vehicle. She was Mary. Yes. But the Ben Stiller of it all, Noah. Remember we we looked at this two weeks ago. Yes, and uh, what we decided is that Ben Stiller was not really. A thing prior to this. Oh, you don't Am remember I remembering this correctly? I'll pull it up. Yep, BJ Stiller. That's what I meant to hit instead of the E. Um, he had starred in Reality Bites, which he also directed, which nobody saw. He uh, was in Heavyweights. Flirting with Disaster, which is a David O. Russell movie, which nobody saw. The Cable Guy, which nobody likes. And then this. This was his first starring broad comedy film. And that's, uh, yeah, unfortunately, quite a big deal. A year after this, we give Mystery Men. And then two years after this, Meet the Parents. Plus the Fairleys, you know... Uh... Peter Fairley, I believe, is an Oscar winner now. You don't know whether it's Peter or Bob. I uh, no, I just I don't recall whether he, he qualified not. for the Oscars. Yeah, I think he has two. I don't. I think he got one for writing it. I th- I think he has two. Okay. Yeah. Because he was he was also a producer there, right? That that would be my guess. Yeah. I think he d- definitely got one for writing it. I think, and I think he also got one for producing. I don't know. Yeah. I'd have to check. Uh, for Green Book, we're talking about everybody. He yes. directed Green Book. <laughs> He did. Good. Good. Congratulations. And thank God he did. <laughs> yeah, it really, it really could have been a, a, a black mark on somebody else's career. Can you imagine if Marshall Ali didn't have a second Oscar for Green Book right now? <laughs> what would we do? Um, instead of like a good movie. <laughs> Who's to say? So, and then my best friend's wedding as far as, um, you know, because we're talking about Cameron Diaz, Mary Trump's it. Rupert Everett's a big thing, but he's not a big thing anymore. And then Julia Roberts of it all, which one is more, I know it's not in competition, but which one is more thought of Notting Hill or this? I would say Notting Hill actually in the, in the general consciousness. Interesting. I, I mean, I don't have a huge line into that answer, but I, I just, would have thought this. I think if we went to 10 random people and said, what Julia Roberts movies do you remember? They'd say pretty woman. And I think we'd get Notting Hill more answers, more of the time, more, yeah, more than this. 
I don't know. But yeah, I think you're right. I think this is kind of just walking away. There's something about Mary. It's got a, yeah. a lot of a lot of strong legacies. And what a weird this finale this will be with the movie that we don't like but inhabits the genre and the movie that we like a lot better than the other movie. But is it really fitting with the genre? What will go on right. to represent the romantic comedies? Is it the one seed Pretty Woman or the three seed There's Something About Mary? We'll find out in two weeks. The Justin Lin Division, the sequels. Here we go. The one seed Terminator 2, Judgment Day, versus the five seed Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, against the three seed Toy Story 2, where the seven seed Batman begins. Here we go. Terminator 2 Judgment Day was released July 3rd, 1991. Opening weekend, $31 million, $52 million five-day opening. Final gross, 204 domestic. Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me was released July 11th, 1999. Opening weekend, $55 million. Final gross, 206 domestic. Terminator 2 Judgment Day cost $102 million to make it gross 517, profit of 507%. Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, cost $33 million to make, and it grossed $312 million. That's profit of $945.1 goes to Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. As ever, big win there. Austin Powers is about to take a very commanding lead uh, in just a second. Quality of movie, Noah, did you rewatch either of these? Uh, no, I did not feel that I needed to. Uh, okay. Did you? No. Um, no, you did not. No, it goes to Terminator 2, Judgment Day. All right, I uh, agree as well. Yeah. I'm, uh, I I thought there I thought there might be a uh, might be a lane where you. No, it's Austin it's Powers one here. it's one of those movies where I do really like the Austin Powers franchise a lot. I love it, but like yeah. it's one of those where if you asked me which one I wanted to watch, I'd pick Austin Powers. But like I know Terminator Two is just better than it. You yeah. know, I um, I do I I do think because uh, I'd actually watched. Uh, the first two Austin Powers early on in quarantine. Mm, I watched all three. Uh, Just saying. If I, I, watched, uh, I completed it, I was uh, more thorough in my watching of the series. And uh, congratulations to you. Thank you. I, uh, I think if this was Terminator Two against Austin Powers One, might might, it might. be. Yeah, it might be a little closer of a conversation. Yeah. I think uh, yeah, yeah. the first Austin Powers is truly great. And that's not to say that Austin that Powers be, 2 isn't also good. Only. I enjoy it very much. Uh, but no, I vote Terminator 2 as well. It's one to one. Harder road to success. Well, it's Austin Powers. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because Terminator 1 made like, I don't know, 30 something, 40. Not, not a whole lot. Terminator 2 made 204, Austin Powers 1 made 50, and then it made 206. So we're in the same camp, right? Sure. But Terminator 2 was the most expensive movie at the time. The you know, this huge action thing. Schwarzenegger had only increased in 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 his profile in the years in, in between. And it was just it was like Independence Day. It was just marketed as this is the fucking movie. Yeah. Austin Powers had one of the more impressive VHS DVD runs in history. That's where it made most of its money, which gave New Line Cinema the, the green light to make the sequel. Was They were just like, holy shit, everyone's renting this movie. It's a huge word of mouth hit after the fact. Um, so that's why it blew up the second time. But I do think it's Austin Powers making $206 million, which is 
1999 is just like a roll your eyes into the back of your head. Like I can't compute kind of. Gross. Yeah. There's if you're, if you're going to jump from like 50 million to 200 million, yeah, you're going to do it with the big action movie with the incredibly with the, with, acclaimed director and the about, biggest star in the world. Yeah, yeah. About fucking shit exploding and not the weird comedy sequel of like the spy parody. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's Austin Powers. So that's a, sure. that's a two, one lead. Noah, one yes. more game in powers takes it. Can he do it? Legacy of the film itself. Terminator two judgment day was the number one film in 1991. Number three film in history, in history worldwide, 75 on Metacritic, six Oscar nominations, four Academy Awards. Austin Powers had the third largest opening in box office history, 59 on Metacritic, and one Academy Award nomination for makeup, if a gun was put to my head. Um, but I think it's Terminator. I just... I, I think it's definitely Terminator. Yeah. I think if you were to conduct a Family Feud-style poll of randos on the street be like, what's the greatest action movie of all time. And that is how he says that Steve Harvey. (laughs) Yeah. We asked a hundred randos on the street. What's something that you put in your socks that isn't your feet. And, uh, and the answer is always Terminator Two: judgment day. It's raunchy. And then Steve Harvey goes, (laughs) come on. Did you really have to say penis? Yeah. And it's funny. He walks around the stage for like 20 minutes and it's very funny. He really, he really sets those people up. He goes up to him and be like, "We asked a we asked a hundred mothers, what's the one body part between your legs?" <laughs> and then they look at each other, and they give and the, the woman answer. goes. Steve Harvey wo- goes, "Whoa!" And the woman goes, "Well, sometimes the penis." And he's like, "All right, that's not what we meant. You knew it." <laughs> he gets very mad at her for some reason. He quits the show. <laughs> If I remember to come back to this later, I have some other riffs that I'd like to share with you uh, while not being recorded for posterity. <laughs> anyway, Terminator 2 gets the vote. You're disgusting. Legacy, the broader legacy <laughs> of, the, of the participants involved. I just, you know, I don't know. You bring it out in me. I don't. <laughs> I don't think that's fair. I think you're letting yourself off. No, it's the, the it's the podcast persona we have to maintain that <laughs> yeah, like you're you're the fine. not that we're both this way, but you're the you're you're more likely to go there. You know that's sure. what makes a good radio the, team, right? I'm the crass and edgy sidekick. I have to I have to rein in or just cut you off. Be like, all right, that's enough. Get someone cut yeah, his mic. The, cut his mic. You're, yeah, you're the professional here. Yeah, and I'm trying to derail us. Yeah, into depravity. Whatever Baba Booey is, I think you're him. <laughs> Isn't that Howard Stern? I don't think he's Baba Booey. <laughs> there are other people on that show. Yeah, he has like a yeah, he's like a group of people. Lardy Lang was one of them for the longest time. Okay. He's like a group of people that he talks to. I've never I've never heard a minute of Howard Stern. <laughs> Neither have I. You know what's interesting about Howard Stern is that when we were growing up, I only oh. I only thought of him as like smut, like just filthy, right? And then sure. you would. And then you would see videos of like he has like you know like girls have orgasms on his show just like crazy shit and i would be like why is like this he's just like he's the bad man of radio and then as the years progress i don't think his show changes that much i don't know i never listened to it 
But then, like, you listen to contemporary, like, people who are a little older than us, and they're all like, I mean, the man's a genius. We've yeah, all Howard Stern was my hero. He's, he's one of the most incredible people to ever, to ever do any medium. And he's like, oh my God. Are you <laughs> sure? I, I thought Howard he was Stern. just about, like, you know, giant breasts and just, yeah. like, swearing. It's just, it, the, the 180 on Howard Stern's reputation, like, in my circle is wild. Anyway. If we remember, I have a lot more on the Howard Stern tangent. You can go off on the Family Feud, and then I'll do that. Sounds good. What are we doing? The broader legacy of the participants involved. What's the score right now? It's two to two. Okay. Uh, well, Terminator 2 is arguably like the most critically acclaimed Schwarzenegger movie we'll ever have. Sure. It's right up there with it's right up there as Cameron's like number two. It's it's Cameron's number two in my opinion of like the movies that he'll be known for. Sure, and in a uh, yeah, Con- continues to be like credited as if not the one of the greatest sequels in history. Plus, it gave us Edward Furlong. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, I, and then Austin Powers is this huge breakout sequel. So like. You know, it's one of those things where how big is it to Mike Myers? It's big because it was such a huge success box office wise that he was able to just, you know, I'm, I'm sure that uh, this kind of helped him get the, well, I don't know, because Chris Farley was doing the Shrek voice and then he died. So they probably just went to a SNL cat, you know, like just followed yeah. that path. But, you know, it certainly led to his just staying relevant but uh, uh, you know what credit do we give the second one as opposed to one and three whereas i think terminator 2 is just clearly in a different class than one and three of those schwarzenegger led films so i think for the legacy of the movie itself or the participants i think it might also be terminator i mean linda hamilton made her an action icon for in history you know what i mean so i might be terminator here as well I also uh, I also think that just in terms of like Mike Myers legacy mm-hmm. like you know Shrek aside which is not nothing but is also just kind of a a different thing to my recollection he didn't really parlay this into a successful box office career and it seemed like after a while he just didn't want to he, you know he tried with uh, the the cat in the hat uh-huh and the love guru arguably was, I've never seen it, but arguably it was supposed to spawn a franchise. But then after that, he just like stopped. He stopped making movies. He just lived off his money and his residuals and he's happy and whatever. So, but the fact that it didn't launch him into that makes its legacy for his filmography even larger because his legacy isn't parsed out by so many things. But again, yeah. what is it to the second Austin Powers that it isn't to the first or as well to the third? You know what I mean? Because the the third one is the highest grossing of the bunch. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I think I think my vote goes Terminator here also. Yeah. All right, Terminator Two Judgment Day moves on. Uh, the one seat. So now every one seat is moving on to the Sweet Sixteen, except for one. Yes. Wow. What will Terminator Two Judgment Day face? Is it Toy Story Two or the two sequels? Literally the second installments. They're all second installments, actually. Toy Story 2, the two, the three seed, or Batman Returns, the seven seed. Toy Story 2 was released November 19th, 1999. Opening weekend, 57 million, 80 million for a five-day expansion. 
Final Gross 246 Domestic Batman Returns, released June 19th, 1992. Opening weekend, $47 million. Final Gross 162 Domestic. Toy Story 2 crossed $90 million to make. It grossed $487 worldwide. That's a profit of $541. Batman Returns cost $80 million to make. It grossed $267 worldwide. That's a profit of $333.1 goes to Toy Story 2. Did you rewatch Toy Story 2 for this? Because you rewatched Batman Returns. Yes, I uh, did not rewatch Toy Story 2 because uh, despite my constant positioning as down on Toy Story 2, uh, this, much like Tarzan, is all relative. Toy Story 2 is great, and I think on it fondly. Uh, and it will get my vote here as the better film. I, I've I've never been a giant fan of the Burton Batmans. Um, they're just not my style of Batman. I, mean, I can't help it that I like I rewatched Forever and Batman and Robin over and over again. So there's just and just like the eighties um, avant garde uh, German expressionism setting always feels claustrophobic to me because I know it's like a tiny set. So when I watch the the Gotham scenes, I'm, you know, obviously I marvel at the construction and shit, but I just always feel very like tight. Like this is just one street. I can just feel it. So um, I I admire Batman Returns and I think it is good, but Toy Story 2 is, uh, it it deepens the emotional resonance of the first film and just has a, a killer story to follow up, you know, a classic and that's really hard to do. So Toy Story 2. Harder Road to Success. Toy Story 2. I'm going to say Toy Story 2 because um, it made more than the first one, which Batman Returns didn't. So there you go. You know, I, I feel like you're, you're coming off of uh, the first Batman, which broke the opening weekend record and was this huge smash. And then you get Catwoman and you have uh, Burton's back and uh, Keaton's back. And then Toy Story 2 is the same thing where you have this huge groundbreaking thing. And then the first Toy Story made i'm gonna look it up but i think like 190 and this made 246 yeah i think that i think that's right because they're relatively the same otherwise yeah especially when you consider that batman is dealing in you know famous beloved characters which is not you know not nearly the boon in 1992 that it is uh today it also Almost made 30 years later. It also made significantly less. Batman made 250. This made right. but, but yeah, if I if I was to have to guess which sequel would make more money, would yeah. be would rather would be more likely to outgross the first one, I would definitely guess Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. I would uh, think so too because blockbusters weren't as prevalent back then. So if you got this follow-up to a beloved hit, you were like, "Holy shit." Yeah. So I uh, I go Toy Story 2 there as well. That's a sweep. It is. Wow. Batman Returns, Returns after knocking down. off Star Wars. Toy Story becomes the only film series in contention with two franchises still in the running in the Sweet 16. And really, that just makes sense for the 90s. For almost any decade. Sure. <laughs> Well, this is the actually Sorry, Home Alone. Actually, Noah, this is the. Well, I'm sorry. Do do decades start at zeros, right? 
kind of? Yes. Okay, so then never mind. We, we did technically have two Toy Stories in the uh, 2010s, because the first three was 2010, four was 2009. So we've had two decades with two Toy Story films. Um in them separated just by a decade entirely. But yeah, uh, let's, let's, let's roll down this list. So this is in two weeks. We have our, our 16. I'm just going to go through our whole 16. Uh, so Titanic, Pulp Fiction, Mrs. Doubtfire, Liar, Liar, The Sixth Sense, The Silence of the Lambs, Jurassic Park, Toy Story, The Lion King, Aladdin, Speed, Armageddon, Pretty Woman, There's Something About Mary, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and Toy Story 2. That's, that, our, that's our sweet 16 candles. Now that we're down to 16. Yeah. I uh, you know, we've both we've both said that we think that Pulp Fiction might be what might be a favorite to win the whole thing. Do you have a prediction? I think it's one of the movies coming out of drama. I think it is okay. either Titanic or Pulp Fiction. I think that that's that should be the finals matchup of this tournament, in my opinion. But it's not. It's happening in the Sweet Sixteen Candles next week, and I'll go over the matchups uh, at the end of this when we preview it. But yeah, I I feel like it's it's that or maybe uh, one of the family films, or honestly, Jurassic Park could take it. I guess I I really don't know. This is very up in the air. What do you think? I know I I. I think that I think that you're right that really any of those things have a good chance. I was going to say if I had to like bet money on this, I would probably put it on Terminator 2. Really? Yeah, I think that uh, I I just I I feel I feel like the the legacy of Terminator 2 as far as being like just one of the great action movies and being a part of James Cameron's career uh in you know not quite the same way as titanic but also a a really big way i think it's i think it's going to have as as good a shot as anything and you know we we basically just named like half of the remaining movies we do know one thing armageddon is not winning this tournament probably not and i swear to christ if it does no speed um speed uh, speed is our i think both our picks to win uh all right we do have some box office news uh very briefly kong gods i always want to say kong first godzilla versus kong um in its second weekend made another 13 million dollars that's a drop of 58.4 percent it's at 69.50 uh 69.5 domestic so that's a drop on the weaker side of things during non-pandemic times, but considering the factors we discussed last week, the seating and time restrictions in theaters, and the fact that people had an entire another week to watch it for free on HBO Max, this is an okay hold. It was actually sure. hot, and it's still, this second weekend is actually higher than any other film's opening weekend during the pandemic, I think. That might not be true anymore. Don't hold me to that. Uh, with just under 70 million domestic, the film is now the biggest film of the pandemic, beating tenants like 59 or something, and still has an outside shot at crossing $100 million with a few more weeks until Warner Brothers tries to replicate this success all over again with Mortal Kombat. Worldwide, Godzilla vs. Kong now sits at $350 million worldwide. China leads all territories with 165. million. It'll pass tenants worldwide total tomorrow. 
and uh, or might just do it now. Um, and the film could still ultimately get over $500 million, which is wild. So there we go. Um, let's play a I game. Do think it, yeah, go ahead. You do think I just, I just want to say in terms of the, uh, you know, you're talking about the drop and how it's, you know, not, it's not, it's not the number you want to see, but I do think it's important to remember that. Well, like Kong V Godzilla is, I did it as well. Godzilla V Kong it just sounds is, better. Is just kind of like an un, an unmitigated success. We're still in the like theaters are barely open. Who the hell knows what's going on? Yeah, world. So it's it's hard to look at the drop and be like, oh, I don't know, fifty nine percent. Like what? Any anything is possible. I mean, if the movie had opened to this amount thirty thirteen point three eight, we'd all be like, okay. Yeah, it'd be like that's that. There would be another one of those things. It's like that's okay. not a disaster, but it's no, also but like it's not, not really what we want to be. Cause, yeah, because anything is possible. And yet, we have a movie out in theaters that is at seventy million dollars and three hundred fifty-seven worldwide. That's very exciting. Uh, let's play a game. I'd love to. It is time to play everybody's latest favorite game. Did it make, it make more, more or okay. less? Well, than, if you're going to change up the, the timing of how you say it. No, it's fine. Go ahead and finish it. <laughs> more or less than Shrek Forever After's opening weekend. Yeah. I, I fully apologize for William abandoning Shatner. the cadence entirely. Jesus Christ. Did it make? I, we all know how to play. I'll name a movie and you tell me whether it's total gross is more or less than Shrek Forever After's opening weekend. For a bonus point, you can choose to name either the movie's director or an unspecified number of cast members chosen by me. Are you ready to play? Yeah. All right. You're coming off a five-point week. Very impressive showing last week. Mm. Our first movie, right out the bat, Zombieland Double Tap. That made less. That made more. Fuck. I don't actually know how much that made. (laughs) I want to say it's 60 something, but it might just be a little over 70. Okay. Uh, well, I can, uh, I'll do director. Cause I don't know how many people are going to want me to guess. Actually I'll do both, but the director is Ruben Flesher. It is Ruben Flesher. How many people do you want me to guess? Uh, well, since you get four off the bat, right. Uh, this number seems high, but I think is doable, especially with how recent the movie is. Uh, I was going to ask for eight. Yes, we all remember everything about the movies from just before the pandemic hit. Uh, eight of the so I need I need four. All right, I'll name Abigail Breslin, Emma Stone, Jesse Eisenberg, Woody Harrelson, yeah, uh, Luke Wilson, the other guy who we're not talking about right now. Um, sure, I think you can take that as an answer. Yeah, uh, Zoe Deutsch, Bill Murray. Is that enough? Oh God, I forgot Bill Murray was back. He's not even in the front. Uh, oh, he's because he's he's just during the end credits, I believe. They yeah. show he's doing a press junket for a Garfield movie when the a zombie outbreak. That's came. right. So then, yes, that is enough. Okay, great. Who else was on that list? Uh, Rosario be... Dawson was right. the eighth that I was searching for. There. Right. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So, uh, good okay. job getting the uh, getting the bonus point. Yeah, I'm still not good on that. Gross. We oh, now move on. I really love how much you don't know what Shrek Forever After's opening weekend was. I have to make sure to never do that as come, come and gone from a theater near you. Uh, our second film is 27 Dresses. No, you, you could, because I'll probably get it within, you know, 
five million. And I think they most of the time when I get it within four, you're like, yeah, pretty close, you know. So well, yeah, I mean, you do well, but I don't want to confirm the number for you. That's true. I, for it, the next few weeks, you my can't advantage. Do well, I I don't think you're going to because that opened at the end of May. You might do it for like the last episode. That'd be yeah. fun because it happens right after this. Sure. You should remember that. <laughs> Look up when that comes out and do it for the uh, whatever episode we're in. Um, okay. 27 dresses. Jesus. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to take a swing on the director because I don't know how many people are going to want me to guess. And I only know well, two people in that movie. Okay. Oh, did it make more or less? Uh, yeah. I think that was a hit. I'm going to say more. It was more. Yeah. That was well a hit. done. Was the shit? Was the director Robert Lukchik or whatever his name is? No, it was not. God damn it! <laughs> Sorry to say, I did come across. It's the guy who directed that... uh, Legally Blonde. Okay, is it? Mm-hmm. He also directed something else that I was considering doing. I forget what it was already. Uh, the no, ugly, the... the ugly truth. Maybe I don't know. I'll look it up. Okay. Uh, the director was uh, Anne Fletcher. Oh sure. Who apparently is she quite the, the uh, She yeah. did the proposal. Uh right? Yes. Uh yeah. she did uh, she did a bunch of stuff. She did Step Up, 27 Dresses, The Proposal, yeah. The Guilt Trip and Hot Pursuit. Yeah. Uh she is also uh, quite the acclaimed uh, dancer and choreographer. Who's the guy in tw- is it James Marsden? Uh, the guy in 27 dresses is James Marsden. Yes. Who else is, I would not know who else was in that. Uh, we got Catherine Heigl, James Marsden, Malin Ackerman, mm. uh, Peyton list is a name that I've heard. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Judy Greer also appears. Yeah. Uh, that is, uh, the ex- a hard one. Noah. That's like border for me. I've never seen that. That's hard. Okay. Uh, what's the last one? Uh, Let's see. The last film. I got to remember to look up that guy. Robert. Uh, so you got the one point for there. The last film is Bring It On. Less. Less is correct. I didn't. I definitely know who directed that. Okay. Thought there was a chance that might be like no, a neat I, little bit of trivia. No, I definitely know a director that, that. could have I'm, slipped your mind. I guess I'll go with. Oh, shit. No, I'll go with the director because I want the point. Uh, Peyton. Read. Yes. <laughs> that was a Peyton list again. Uh, <laughs> how many people do you have any guess, though? Uh, I would have asked for four. Oh, really? Because yeah, there's three I... easy ones right off the bat. Yeah, I know, but there's there's, there's only 40. one other name in this cast that I recognize outside of the four, and I don't know. Is it Ian Roberts? He plays the dance instructor. Does it? No. The choreographer they bring in. Uh, no, Kirsten Dunst, Gabrielle Union, Elijah Dushku, Jesse Bradford. Yes. Uh, the fifth is Claire Kramer. Yes, she plays one of the um, one of the mean cheerleaders who, uh, uh, who doesn't like Kirsten Dunst. What is the uh, what is the name of the director that you guessed? Like before? Robert Luktik something. You say he directed Legally Blonde. Yeah. All right, I'll get it that way. Okay. L U D something. L U I E. I don't know. Uh, Not here Lukatich. to spell. Lukatich, yeah. Yeah. You don't pay uh, me to spell. 
Oh, no. I was uh, considering the film 21. <laughs> oh, yeah. That poker movie that at the time I thought was pretty cool. Black I, remember, Excuse I me. remember you not liking it. I don't know why. We saw that in theaters. Uh, I, 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 that was the second time I saw it. I think we saw it at Buffalo Grove. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I think I watched that movie a few times on cable afterwards. Nice. Uh, so yeah, four point showing for you there. Okay, great. Not bad. Uh, now, come and gone from a theater near you. Are you yeah. ready to go back in time? Yes, I am. All right. Uh, I was hoping to start a new thing where, uh, you know, it's week 15, so I was going to go back to 2015. <sighs> Sure, but that just that didn't that didn't work well at all. Uh, so instead, we're uh, one year off. We're going back to 2016 because there's a uh, there's a neat uh, there's a neat little movie that opened up at number five. Number five. There's also the number one. Uh, there's two. There's two new ones, but the number five is like a fun little a fun little piece of trivia here. Okay. Uh, what was the date? What was the Friday? Uh, the date was April 8th Okay, was the Friday. So it wasn't Batman v Superman. Correct. That had already come out. This was in its third weekend. I don't know. April. I don't know. Give me a clue. Let's just do that. All right. I Uh, I, I want this podcast to be under two hours. So, well, it's a, uh, it's a comedy. The 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 number one was a comedy. Yes. Hmm. Did we see it? Uh, no. I no. definitely didn't, and I don't think you did, though you may have seen it since. Interesting. Is it a, uh, a Medea? No. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, but it is female-led, as if those <laughs> movies were female-led. Uh, <laughs> hey, that means he's doing his job, man. <laughs> yes, it um, is. But it is female led. Okay. Yes. Is it uh he's just not that into you? No. Is it the other woman? No. If you uh if you had one shot to guess Is it eight mile? Who... <laughs> yes. If you had one opportunity <laughs> to guess who led a female led comedy in two thousand sixteen. Oh come what? That's the Cameron Diaz. No. Reese Witherspoon. Now, think of the. I'm going for a very prominent 2010s. Melissa, Melissa McCarthy. Yes. That, is, that oh. is where I was going. Oh, is it The Boss? It is The Boss. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> she just had a Cameron new movie come out Diaz. on Netflix. Sorry. Look up when the other woman came out. I'm just, I'm just saying. She's. She's she's not that not that prolific. Melissa uh, McCarthy just had another movie come out that opened to tw- uh boy. I'm gonna say 21. I'll keep it on the low side. Uh, very close. 23 and a half. Yeah. When you say Melissa McCarthy just had another movie come out, are you talking about the Thunder Force? Yeah, it's just called Thunder Force. Is it? I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, it is. The the that and uh, <laughs> Super Intelligence came out in November. Um. But on different streaming services. So, how many movies am I guessing? Just two. So now, oh, okay. The, uh, so now we go to number five. Number five is it? Uh, it follows. 
No, it is not. The Babadook. No, that is not. No, no, no. No. no, no. Uh, we're looking for an action movie here. And a, a one with, uh, as far as I can recall, a unique gimmick. <laughs> when Hard, I say... J- uh, I, hardcore Henry? That's it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one! Good God. Hardcore Henry. What if we strap an iPhone to an actor's forehead and film a movie with it? Shove him out of a plane. It'll be like a... What You know what I always love? Video games I can't play. That's yes. what I love watching. Um, I do actually like watching like my friends play. I don't like watching random people play, but my friends play video games I enjoy. Um, all right. I'd open to uh, five. I'll go low again. Yeah. 5.1. Yeah. Nailed yeah. Hardcore Henry. Didn't work out. That one no. didn't work out. All right, here we go. Oh, Pod That Sucked 7. The Worst Films of 2020. So over the course of the year, I, co- I compile a list of every movie I watch. Uh, my deadline is Oscar night. So normally that's February, and I have from January to, f- to the next February to watch as many movies as I can, rank them all and stuff, make my own awards. This year, obviously, uh, the Oscars are at the end of April. Everything was pushed back, so I'm still watching 2020 movies. I watched one today. wasn't good. Not going to be on my list, um, but wasn't good. And uh, and 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 so he, he, here we go. We're we're gonna. I know it's late. You're like 2020 already have it. I don't want to think about it anymore. But we're gonna think about it two more times this week. The worst films of the year. Um, we're only doing five. Normally we do. Last year we also did five. Just keep it short. But normally we do do ten. This year I didn't feel that we had a ten that I would be sufficiently railing against enough i didn't see as many movies i'm trying to get to a hundo but i haven't seen as many 2020 movies as we used to and we we used to know it we used to just see movies on a whim we used to see them because you worked at a theater we could see them for free or because we have you know uh the a-list stuff yeah the thing so we would just see movies that like this isn't going to be good but whatever let's just go and so those led to a lot of um and also just movies weren't uh, released this year. So that also hindered movies like X-Men Apocalypse being released and us hating it or right. Independence Day Resurgence or Spectre. So that factored into the idea that we weren't just seeing casual movies leads to a list that like, you know, I could talk about how bad Downhill was, but it's not going to be as fun. And I don't really want to harp on that kind of thing. So we're only doing five. Yes. I. Uh... And yeah, I think in addition to all those things, the the quarantine experience just leads to, you know, it's it's more curatorial movie watching. Like you, you like you said, you're not just gonna watch, a fucking, I I don't know what I can't even think of some. Like, you dog can't shit movie even think of, of some dog shit last movie. year. Uh, but you're not just gonna from, watch wait that from movie from last year or 2019. You mean? No, I mean from last year. From 2020? What about, uh, without giving my list away, what about The the, the Hunt? No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying like one that neither of us saw. Oh. You're not just going to pick up that movie on a whim and be like, I guess I'll watch this because there's so much other stuff that you could choose. Well, we could, stick with, we could stick with X-Men and even though it is now available on HBO Max, Noah, uh, the, the uh, New Mutants. 
yeah, there you go. Uh, so yeah, I think I think five movies is right here. Yeah. So we're gonna count them down uh, from five to the worst film that we saw last year. Um, Noah, what is your fifth worst movie of the year? All right, I. I'm trying to think of the he best hasn't way. Even listed them. He's doing it now. Ranking now. No, I have one. I'm trying to think of the best way to couch it. The first, my first pick, couch is like is kind of a troll pick because you're picking Trolls World Tour. I yes, no, it's, it wasn't it's not that, that bad. much of a troll pick. It wasn't that bad? Uh, because if I if I was just doing the strict, uh, you know, way I usually do, where I'm. I just I list the five worst movies. I don't I don't think this would have been my fifth worst movie of last year. However, I do think it deserves mention okay. because I I really disliked the viewing experience despite <laughs> having a lot of time. You mean being being at home? <laughs> no, I just, I just just watching the movie at all. I I have a lot of time for the people involved. It it was very interesting on paper reading about this movie made me think like, Oh, that, that, that review that P this article I just read is interesting. Could the movie have been interesting? It wasn't my, my, my pick at number five is I'm thinking of ending things. Wow. <laughs> which, wow. which took a, took a really wow. big swing and had some things to admire, but I think was just, absolutely frustrating kind of from start to finish was deliberately and annoyingly just opaque. Just, there was no way for me to really breach it and make any sort of emotional connection at all. And I think that's necessary even in a sort of avant-garde purposefully weird kind of movie. Still on some level, you still need to care. And I just didn't. And after not caring for an hour and a half, I decided to end with a big interpretive ballet sequence that at that point for me just could not have fallen flatter. Um, Charlie Kaufman, who we both really love, uh, wrote and directed it back with a new movie. I also didn't like it clearly more than you did apparently but it's not any it's in the middle of my list it's not anywhere near the bottom or the top um i thought that uh uh what's her name jesse buckley yes i thought she was great i thought plemons jesse plemons was great the cinematography the law jesse the cinematography was gorgeous it did get to a point where you know, it starts off interesting. You're trying to figure it out, what's going on. And then you realize that it's not going to explain itself or to lead to anything. And so then it does become frustrating. I agree. You know, the last half hour, but when they're in the house with the family and she keeps seeing, you know, them as old people and shit, I was like, Oh, what is, what is going on? I'm excited to find out. And then when we don't, it is a big bummer. Um, but I, I admire the, the physical craft of it, which is the performances and the, the frames that they showed, but there's just no substance there. So I can't blame you. Noah, my fifth worst movie of the year, one, two, three, four, five is a film we watched recently. It is John Lee Hancock's the little things. Ah, Ooh, good choice. 
you know, it was, it was higher up. And then I realized, did I like this less than I, I realized I like this a lot less than Hubie Halloween, or I hate this more than cherry, you know? And so I, I moved it down this week because it was just an insufferably dull and anticlimactic crime movie that didn't show us anything of interest. It didn't show us even anybody being killed. Not that we want to see that, but just something that happened on the fucking screen would have been great. And then it all leads to two comically stupid scenes. And by that, I mean the people in it acting comically stupid. Uh, The one we described last week, with the stakeout and then the last scene of the movie, which I will not give away, but no one knows what I'm talking about involving driving hours and hours with somebody who you think is a murderer. I just shock every mistake that he made. We were on Skype with Joe screaming at the screen. Why would you get in the front seat? How are you not handcuffing anybody? This is crazy. It was crazy. What did you forget? Just uh, I just brought up the movie on Wikipedia. Uh, Natalie Morales was in that movie. Yeah, they have one female character, and she's in it for about a half a second. Uh, every other female character is dead and like naked on a a morgue bench with Denzel Washington talking to her breasts, or just yes. her. I don't know, but um, just pointless and dull and uh, and and very vain. That film. I, Denzel Washington is one of the greatest actors we've ever had. Uh, I don't care for Jared Leto or really Rami Malek, but um, a lot could have been done with this material. Not this material. The script was terrible, but a lot could have been done with these circumstances and just sure. what a, what a waste. So uh, that's when I, I guess we never fully clarified this uh, internally, uh, but so your lists uh, for worst of, and then I assume best of next week uh, will encompass things that came out in 2021 but qualify my cutoff for the has, al- has always been yes the oscar deadline which this year was february 28th okay so the little things is not on my 2021 rankings at all gotcha uh any movie that came out after the february 28th 2021 not not up for this list will be put on the next one anything before because jared leto in the hunt for an oscar nomination nominated for the sag and the golden globe so in uh, yeah, my mind, yeah. that makes it a 2020 movie, and there we go. So yeah, I fully support that choice, uh, but will not be making it myself. That's fine. However, no. So this might be on your list next year. You're saying maybe. And I, I would I would be surprised next year if uh, I didn't see five worse movies. But uh, once once we start getting out of the uh, the curatorial and getting back into theaters, but. Uh, I will it, say that no no remaining movie on my list um, is from uh, w- w- every other movie on my list for this worst of. And so far on my best of were released, uh, I think, sure. were released I, in I, 2020. I think this will definitely be more of a uh, more of a factor next week. For but we'll me? find out. No, just Maybe. For, for both for the disparity of our lists. Uh, Maybe. There's at least one, uh, at least one movie. Off the yes, because your your yeah, Judas and the Black Messiah. You're not going to have eligible for this yeah, year. That's correct. wild. Uh, That's going to be very weird next year. No, <laughs> come on, man. All right. Anyway, go ahead. What's what's your number four? 
All right, my number four uh, is The Hunt, which you brought up earlier. My number four is uh, also The Hunt, so perfect. we'll talk about it together. I, I feel like we're, I feel like we're honestly, we could just have the same, maybe not in the same order, but the same next four movies. Just, I think, I think, just, I think it's, I think it's very likely. I, uh, with you know the the outside chance at something replacing, I think my number three. But I'm almost certain two and my two and one are going to be on your list. So let's talk about the hunt. No, why don't yes. you go first? I talked about it a lot last week. I just completely unaware. It it seems to be a movie that wants to make a point. It it wants to have some sort of biting satire or commentary, but it's just completely unaware of what point it's trying to make, of what side it's trying to take it's just kind of spraying a fine mist of barbs of criticisms at conservatives at liberals at the rich at the poor you know in a way to say all of all of you are part of the problem we recognize the hypocrisy in everyone but it's not even really that cuz that would even be a point that the movie is trying to make it. It just kind of it. It ping pongs between being like we're making fun of liberals, ah, but we're actually making fun of conservatives, and none of that fun is good. It's never funny. Uh, no, it's never it's never interesting except for there is that fight scene at the end. That is the, it's, a, it's a terrific scene. The worst part yeah. of a good movie, as I said which last is, week, uh, which is why it's uh, not lower than four. Yep. I. Uh, but is otherwise just a completely unfunny and uninteresting and unfocused movie. Yeah, it's um, it's it it. You you can't go after everybody in a movie that literally pits people against each other. We have to root for somebody. We can't play neutral here. And the movie is lazy in the sense that it thinks that by doing the bare minimum of social satire, it is knocking it out of the park, and that's all that needs to be done. But that doesn't make biting interesting satire. That makes for frustrating the ignorant satire, and that's what the movie is. Yes, I think that is uh, absolutely right. Uh, what's your number three? Let's see if we can keep going. My number three is Wonder Woman 1984. Oh, yeah, that's not in my bottom. <laughs> no, damn. All right, yeah. all right. See, that's that's the, that's what the movie. What movie do I have on my list that you're leaving out? Unless you have a tie, because I can't imagine any anything being worse than these three for this year. Go uh, ahead. Actually, I'm, I think uh, I'm yeah. curious to see which one that I may have just uh, forgotten about. <laughs> you probably did. I. Oh, you're gonna be Sorry. real pissed. You forgot about this. I, I, I maybe. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> I. <laughs> Wonder Woman 1984 was not yeah. only bad, but it was it was such a waste of what could have been the shining light of DC. It was the one, the one franchise that everyone kind of agreed, like say what you will about man of steel or suicide squad, but we all love wonder woman. The first one was great. And I was legitimately excited for a DC sequel in a way that I didn't, think that i ever really would be and then it just might have been the worst of them all 
Snyder Cut well. accepted. Which... <laughs> well, you think it was worse than Suicide Squad? I think it might have been. I think that's on the table. What a take. I I think it just it's it started it started bad and just progressively every scene was worse than the last. <laughs> I think it was just incredibly silly and not in like the way that like a Wonder Woman movie could be silly but also fun and like kind of more upbeat and uh, and like not a, not as serious or dire but just in a way that was like they're talking about wishes my my favorite oh, my favorite that. my favorite line of the whole movie is when uh, Steve turns to Diana and go uh, stopping him might not be enough wishes have been made my favorite line of the whole movie is nerd. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's what was said when Kristen uh, Wiig drops her papers. I don't recall. I'm certain the Smithsonian employees making fun of Kristen Wiig. For having glasses if, and being gorgeous. Yeah. As if they're all like super cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it's just, just stupid. And, you know, I talked, I talked about this last week devolves into something that is truly incomprehensible by the end. I don't think I'll ever forget or forgive, and no one talks about it, nobody talks about it, and I have to, that a giant wall (laughs) magically appears in the Middle East, and that leads an actual news reporter to say, this Middle Eastern leader is being blamed for the wall. Yeah, like the president of Egypt. He's re- we, he is being held as responsible for the wall. <clears throat> this thing ding, magically appeared out of nowhere. And then you go, well, you did it. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's... How, how could he have done it? It's also <laughs> such an easily solvable problem. We just don't know one, where it came from. Yeah, just that's one, all. I'm yeah. just like one garbage throwaway line about how the wishes like have some kind of force that makes everyone sure. look at them as though they've always sure. they're not weird. Right. Sure. And then Absolutely. sure, you're done. But no, it was never addressed, and all of a sudden, be like Egypt's being blamed for the sudden appearance and, of, this, of the wall this from magic, Game of Thrones. This magic miles long wall. Um, yeah. No, that that is the worst part of the movie. Nobody talks about it. anyway. Uh, if if we were doing a ten, Noah, Wonder Woman 1984 would be number nine on my list. It is the wow, nine, okay. nine worst on my list, but okay. it's not on the four. And the reason why it's not lower is it, it does have good intentions. It's just a movie of mistakes. It just made the wrong choice at every turn, and mainly the uh, the the Chris Pine of it all. Him and Gal still work, and I just found him to still be a delight. So it is not uh, as low on the list as it is on yours, but it still is number nine. Why is he inhabiting someone's body? I'm sorry. We've all we've all litigated the stupid parts of Wonder Woman 1984, except for the wall. Why is that? Why is that the only wish that's different? (laughs) The wall isn't like made of a bunch of camels that were in the desert. (laughs) It took out. It took the Great Wall out of China and just. God damn it! All right. I'm sorry. What's your number three? My number three is Hillbilly Elegy. Ah yes, yes that that is uh, that is the movie that I declined. What? The list. I thought I it would be another one. Elegy. Is it not on your list at all? No, I I, I, decl- I declined uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Apparently, 
So you just didn't put it on your – when you say declined, it wasn't like an no, active I, choice I forgot, where you were I, like, no. I, I, I forgot about I it. I, well, you can I, talk I, about I, list, I listed four terrible movies and one not as terrible movie but one that I wanted to shout out because – This is why you got to keep a list, Noah. It's so yeah, easy. Yeah, but this is every, – everyone Everyone says you're making an interesting list. You want to you ruffle some feathers right off the bat. It's just so easy to just every time, every few days you see a movie, just add it to your list. I know. Um, Something happened happened last year. Threw me off my groove. Hillbilly Elegy. First of all, J.D. Vance. uh, Is that his name? J.D. Vance, yes. On Twitter this week. Just. Getting worse by the day. Just. Woo. Um, no, his story is one. uh, First of all, the movie is, I don't know. No, what's wrong with Hillbilly Elegy? I can't even put into words. What do you I think mean, is wrong with Hillbilly Elegy? Here's what I, I mean, I think a lot of stuff is wrong with it. Uh, down to the fundamental idea of like looking at this and be like, well, we can all agree in these troubled and divided and partisan times that the story of J.D. Vance is one to respect and look at with admiration. Like, fuck this guy. Uh, my problem with Hillbilly Elegy is basically boils down to i think glenn close is playing the old woman from the amanda show but as like a prestige role and it's it's just so it's just so flagrantly on its face ridiculous mm-hmm. that like she she may she could be surrounded by dancing lobsters and it would not like make the movie suddenly be like, Oh, well this isn't, this isn't dramatic fair anymore. You know, Hillbilly Elegy for me, the reason why it's on the list, it feels like pandering of the worst kind. It feels like we're going to tell the story of this guy who had it difficult as a child, who then got into a good school. Like that happens every single day. The glorifying of this kind of environment and this kind of sector of the population is worthy of a story it just doesn't have to be this heavy-handed, this generic, this just completely by the books drivel. This movie is drivel. And it's one of those things where it's it's made by people who don't have the same ideology as him and you can feel it because this feels like a movie that's like look at them and that's the worst kind of you know, quote unquote Hollywood elite that I don't like because I don't believe in that kind of shit. But when they do this kind of thing where they slum it, right? Yeah. Um, it, this movie is just just complete idiotic drivel. That's all. I I also think it has a fundamental mishandling of the relationship between J.D. Vance and his mother, played mm-hmm. the, unfortunately by Amy Adams in the film. Because you get the impression by the end that the idea they're going for is like this this woman this woman has her demons she has a lot of struggles uh and ultimate but ultimately she is a flawed but good mother in pursuit to great of raising her son it's well and just like she she struggles but it's a complicated relationship but that's just that's not the relationship that the movie builds. No, she is a monster throughout. We have yeah, no sympathy it, for her. We never see her in a good light. Yeah. It's, it just, it completely misses the mark on what I'm, I, I'm sure they were going for. Cause I don't and know so, why anyone would ever try to 
craft that or why Amy Adams would agree to be cast as just the bad drug addict mother who nobody it's, likes. Right. And the movie keeps going back to it. They act as if it's the fundamental relationship for this kid. And yet every time we see it as a one-sided affair, we see one aspect of it and it's the cruelty. And there's no point where we, tr- where they want us to feel bad for her or we do. And so every time he is conflicted about helping his mom, especially at the end, where he's like, I have this big interview, but what do I do? We're all like, just leave. It's yeah. fine. Also, the sister, he, the, you, there's a support system there. Like, this is being like, I can't do it. I have to go to a thing. You're going to have to do it. Like, there's, just, there's so many things about this movie that it tries to do That's, and it just fails. And it's just, it's hoke. It's just hokey messiness. It's, it's bad. It's what's very your, bad. What's your number two? Okay. Uh, so I do suspect that our two and one are going to be the same. And I think but... they're the same order because we specifically mentioned how the worst one was worse than the other one while we were watching it. I interesting i was gonna say that i think that i think they're i think they're probably flipped because while making this well, list while making while making this list my i chose my number one over my number two because my number one could have been good and i don't think number two was ever going to be good uh and that wait so your number one just go ahead just say it. yeah so at number two, I put Capone. Yes, I did too. So our number, oh, well, good. actually we'll get to that in a minute. Cause we did have that conversation and I'll say in a second. Yes. My number two is Capone as well. So, yeah, but I, I don't think there's a world in which Josh Trank's Capone was ever going to be good. No. Uh, for you a, you know what's for- interesting. And I, I truly no disrespect to Linda Cardellini, who I desperately enjoy, but well, that's a weird phrase, but um, I, I can always there's always something about the supporting cast of these biopics that really harp into whether they're you just ha- whether they're going to be good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like like casting Lin- casting Linda Cardellini, who again is wonderful, as the wife of Al Capone in my and Matt Dillon as like the you know cop who likes him. I don't remember, but doing those things automatically may- puts me at just makes me weary of the film because I'm thinking. Well, I don't think this is going to be a big thing because those people are not cast in big things. If Amy yeah, Adams was the wife and Robert De Niro was, well, it'd be a David O. Russell movie. But if that was the case, then I would be like, okay, well, that's Cooper interesting. played his shit in his pants. <laughs> that would be interesting because if those if actors of that kind of esteem were in it, I'd say, okay, well, that's going to be good because they are all signed on. But when you have these other actors who aren't in these juicy roles as often your immediate thought is, well, I don't, why didn't people who do get those juicy roles? Why are they? It's, it's no, it's no disrespect to Linda Cardellini's talent, but just the way that she is viewed. It's the Hollywood power structure. It is kind of some disrespect to Matt Dillon's talent when Mm -hmm. he's like, when he's like the number two in your prestige genre drama in 2020, you're, you're in for a rough time. Yeah. Uh, So Yes. Yeah, go ahead. I, th- I think it says a lot about Josh Trank that for someone who has directed three movies, the first two of which were superhero movies, uh, the whole time watching this, I was just like, "Yeah, this is this is exactly what I expected from him." This is, I think, just peak unfiltered Josh Trank shit. Hmm. Just this this super serious, like we're gonna we're gonna take a look at this big figure in American history, except we're going to look at his gross shit filled years and we're really going to fill in the shit. Cause that happened. And we're going to tell this serious gritty story. 
And then there's also going to be a scene where he fucking shoots a bunch of people. <laughs> well, I'll get to that in a second. But you're also to to that point. You know, you and I like biopics that are about one specific point of a person's life. And so the idea that this is about the end of Capone's life and his deterioration mentally from this like strong kingpin to just, you know, this like baby, right? Sure. Is interesting in and of itself. The issue is that the movie then teeter totters, hmm, seesaws between almost you're questioning, like, did they want us to feel bad for Al Capone? Because he like, he can't talk anymore and he's become basically like a vegetable you know, the movie has a real sympathetic view for him that was very uneasy for me, where I was like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I like I, I don't care if he, like, can't smoke his cigars anymore or he can't eat on his own. That doesn't bother me. He was a monster. You know, like, there's it, – it's a weird dichotomy the movie's trying to balance that it just doesn't. Um, I think Tom Hardy is arguably bad in the film. I think it's 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 a it's a performance that even with a better director, Noah, you know, you say Josh Trank couldn't have made a good movie. I don't think anybody could have made a good movie with that performance. That performance is over the top through the woods and comes back around. Well, I, to I think being that on the top. I I think you know the you know some some would say the primary job of a director is to. Uh, you know, steer his actors into good performances. Sure. Sure, sure, I don't, sure. I don't, I don't think a good director would have, uh, would have come, come out with that performance. That's fair. But I, think you, that, but I think that Tom Hardy, you know, I am, I, th- I think I am more on Tom Hardy Island than you are, but I'm a big Tom Hardy fan. I just watched Dunkirk. He's great. I mean, I, sure. I'm, a, I'm a Tom Hardy fan. I just, do you agree with me though, that he is bad in this movie? I, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think he's, I think he's without a, he's without a paddle. Yeah. Uh, and he's, so he's just like trying to do Tom Hardy things, Yeah, it but, just doesn't with no, work. but with no coach, it do, it doesn't work. It's the movie not has... like, well, a good performance in a bad movie. No, I just don't really not. blame he's... him. I, I mean, I give him some of the blame, but I, I don't entirely blame him. I'm just saying that he's bad. The, it's a bad central performance, which hurts the sure. quality of the movie. There's no other interesting characters. Linda Cardellini's fine, but there's no other interesting characters. Anybody else who's you want to are just interested in. And then the ending, besides the carrot thing, the ending where he goes on a diaper filled rampage, literally wandering around his compound in a diaper, killing everybody. The, it's, it's the longest scene. I think it's, it's it's staged terribly, but what shocks me is just, there's, there's no A to B. We don't even think that like, okay, now they have to do this. He's wandering around the cronies of his that just get out and go, Hey, Al. And then he kills them. And then the next crony goes, stands up and goes, Al put down the gun. And then he kills them. Like, what is your play? He's obviously doesn't recognize he's just killing. Stop, stop trying to like, I'll be the one that changes his mind. Am I correct in remembering that that scene was all a dream? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, which just, I mean, Howard, I'll, how I'll is anyone, how is anyone still making that decision? I'll look it up. The guys, I got an idea. What if the climax of my film was, it was all a dream. Like, don't do that. Also, has there been a good movie in which somebody shat themselves? <laughs> just like you saw it happen. Good question. Uh, and like, I guess I'll I'll ex- I'll exclude comedies because maybe there's a good gross out comedy where somebody shat themselves and you saw it happen. But has there ever been a good drama in which somebody shat themselves? 
I, I can have, only think of two, but I submit that there has not, and there will never be. I have an update. Please. The plot summary on Wikipedia is not extensive. <laughs> That's nobody, it, nobody has bothered to watch this and go, now let's get into the nitty gritty of what happened and put it on I think page. it was a dream. So I don't know if it was all a dream. I think it was. Yeah. And then there's so, a thing yeah, with the bunny or where he like, I don't I can't remember the guys trying to coerce him into like drawing where the money is. I don't know. It's terrible. <laughs> okay. Noah, this was a shitty year and there was one movie that while watching it, we literally said, I think this is worse than Capone, right? Because this is a, just a poorly made film, like the That's editing cool. and the plot and the cat, like this is all wrong. This isn't even like a, I think it, we also said at one point, we don't even register this as a movie. Like this just doesn't feel like a whole thing in our brain. It's, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I would have, uh, I would have bet pretty confidently that we had watched this before Capone. No, we had watched it very soon after. <laughs> and I, I and I remember because we watched stretch. this. I feel like we watched this in October, and Capone. I think we did in like August or September. But we, um, God, I guess we did watch this in October. This feels yeah. like a very like early quarantine movie. Oh no, no. very recently, uh, considering. Yeah. But um, now that you say that, you're right. Of course, we watched it in October. Yeah, but like, yeah, we we both. Do you remember that conversation? We were like this. This isn't like a motion picture. I don't think. I don't yeah. know what this is. Yeah, it's it's. It's of fun, course, it's fundamentally not good. The worst movie of 2020, it will say at the same time, is Fantasy, Fantasy Island. Island. Yep. Thank God. Yep. Yeah. There's like a, what is, like a what five percent chance in my mind that that you were not gonna say Fantasy Island? I just went. I just went, I just like, went oh, the no. prom, and you were like, I didn't see the prom. <laughs> like, oh right. Of course, I watched the prom in October. <laughs> I... uh, Fantasy Island, directed by Jeff. Uh, Wadlow, who directed for Blumhouse um, Truth or Dare, which wasn't as terrible as it could have been. This was just a train wreck. The conception, the execution, the story made no sense, and we'll get into that in a second, but more so you and I well, me, I, while the trailer when the trailer came out, I was like, this is what the twist should be is that they all come to this island for their fantasies and their fantasies, you know, become very sadistic or whatever, but, and then they all go wrong because they didn't come there for their fantasy. They came there as a part of someone else's fantasy to kill them. That's a good twist. This almost does that. And then goes into, it's a cursed island. Yes. Right. But isn't it a cursed island? It it, it is a cursed island. But yeah. also, do you like? I don't. I I had completely forgotten until I was doing uh, my research for this pod. Do you remember the twist in Fantasy Island? Isn't the twist that like um, Rourke, uh, Michael Pena is uh, is is cursed down because his family died? No, I mean I think that's a reveal. The There's twist, some kind of rock. The twist is that. Uh, Everyone is not there to fulfill their own fantasies. Everyone is there because they were all present and in some way accountable for That's right. the death in a fire of Lucy Hale's boyfriend. <laughs> and so she has concocted a plan 
of revenge. She's the villain. That's right. She's the villain. Uh, and isn't there like a chase in like a fountain for a stone? Like, aren't they like wiggling around and swinging on a fountain trying to get I, something? Yeah, there's a there's a fountain of water, which is also, like the source a of magic the curse. Stone, isn't that? I'm gonna find this stone. Yeah, well, there's a grenade. Which... I I don't know the the spe- the specifics of it have left me. Thank God, but it's a it's a movie. I was I said that this one ended up at my number one because of what it could have been. This just seems like like perfect fodder for Blumhouse. It's a it's technically IP. Yeah, uh, Fantasy Island was a TV show, yep. and uh, that's that's all we make anymore. So fine, but it's also a TV show that I would wager nobody gives a shit about. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, like Twenty One Jump Street, where you just take yes, the idea exactly of like the show. And turn it into another genre. Fantasy yeah, Island right. isn't. It's a Fantasy Island was like a romantic, almost comedy, but like a romantic drama. You just go to the thing and you fantasies. Turn it into a horror movie. That yeah, sure, that's yeah, interesting. In, in the, the Blumhouse special, spends you know ten million dollars, whatever. Yeah, to make a perfectly good, uh, maybe really good, maybe fine, uh, horror movie that you come out the other side of thinking like, oh, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And then, like you're you're done. It's 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 right there. But instead, they they play like weirdly close to like making it like a fantasy island origin story. Remember the end of the movie? Yes, the end of the movie is Jimmy O. Where, Yang. Uh, that's his name, right? Yes, it is. Stays on the island and becomes Tattoo, the one who goes the plane, the plane. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in, in a in a way to like sort of embody that uh, that thing that you always talk about, where a, mo- a movie a movie ends with like the premise it should have started with. Right. The movie every, ends every, with like finally we have become the X Men. Ev- every single X Men movie ends with them being a team and wearing matching suits, and then the next movie starts with them having to get a team together. Yes, <laughs> and it uh, is crazy. <laughs> they've abandoned the idea of the X-Men. They're really just like, we're just professors at this school. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and it does that. It's like, finally we are on fantasy Island and cut right. the credits, which like for who, who wants, who's sitting there watching it being like, Oh yeah. Can't wait for fantasy Island too. Now that tattoo is here. But also the various things that the people go through, like the one guy, his his fantasy was to be with his dad in the war. Like well, that's I, I think, weird. I think, his, I think his fantasy was just to be a soldier. Okay, he was a fine. cop, and like he couldn't, he was injured or something, so he couldn't do it. But right. he always wanted to play army, and then it, like the curse was that he had to go on a mission with his father. Right. Um, the, uh, the, the two adopted brothers, one who is gay, one who isn't want to just fuck a bunch of people. Yeah. Just uh, and then, and then, and then their turn, then that turns into a terrorist event. <laughs> um, the, the Maggie Q's character, she lost her daughter. And so she like broke up with her husband or something. And then they do this thing where she enters her fantasy and it's 20 extras who they never tell us whether they're actors or not. And then her husband's there. And I remember we, the whole time we were like, is the husband? know he's there. Who is this man who looks just like her husband? Is this a figment of her imagination? I think so. I think it was like magic. Just like he's there now. 
it's never explained. There's the there's the grenade at the end. Someone jumps on a grenade. Yeah. They're just throwing grenades around. There's like zombies of them stalking them in caves underneath. It's it is it's not a movie. Michael Rooker shows up. It is the yeah. He's the one who like, knows Hi, it. And I'm then, on the island. And then I think he dies immediately. He does. Um, it's not a movie. It's not put together structurally. There's no cohesiveness to any of it. It is baffling experience to watch. Yeah, and it is the worst movie of 2020. It certainly was. Oh boy, Noah. We did next week though. Uh, we're gonna talk about our ten best films of the year, uh, as it'll be one week before the Academy Awards. So our lists are gonna be fine. Well, my list won't be finalized till I see the Oscars, but list will be finalized as far as you know. Sure. Uh, we'll give our ten best of the year. Talk about what we actually liked because good movies came out last year, Absolutely. and we're gonna talk plenty about of them. Also next week. The Sweet 16 begins. We are handing out division titles. Which movies will represent their genre and their division? Titanic or Pulp Fiction fighting it out for the uh, the drama award. Mrs. Doubtfire or Liar Lighter battling it out in the Mel Brooks division for that title. The Sixth Sense or The Sounds of the Lambs. Which one will represent horror films moving forward? And the Steven Spielberg division, the franchise starters, Jurassic Park, will go up against Toy Story. One of these movies will fall. Well, those are heavy hitters. They, they are. Going up I'm, against each other. I'm continuously continually impressed by, I guess, I guess this is the movies of the 90s. We didn't do anything. Uh, we're just following all these things to their logical conclusion, but it's a, it's a bunch of fucking heavy hitters. And half of them will go down. And it is crazy that like, you know, Pretty Woman might continue in the competition, but like Toy Story won't. Like what? What do you mean? But that's the way. It, that's the way it happens. Uh, sure. Noah there can plug- only be one winner. There can only be one. Noah, plug us up. You can come find us at what's in the box We are on Twitter at witboxoffice. That is also our Instagram handle. I am on Twitter at Noah Druki. I'm at Brian dot Brian dot Brian D a s u r b e r. Uh, of course, the feed for our podcast uh, can be found anywhere podcasts are found. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. Uh, it's going to be good shit next week. Best movies of the year. It was a rough year, but there were some really good movies. Really and, good movies. And we watched uh, quite a few of them, and we've compiled the best of them for you. Uh, we, please indeed. subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> End of line. Sweet 16 Candles begins next week and our top 10 movies of the year. Be sure to tune in. This has been What's in the Box Office. I have been your host, Brian. And I've been your host, Noah. Thank you so much for listening. And in case we don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.